0: I look at myself more as a reformed self-defense instructor. I don't teach necessarily what we think of as self-defense. I do teach physical skills. um, But my focus is on particularly women and how we occupy and claim space. And there's a missing in self-defense, which is you're sitting there on the train, minding your own business. And then in self-defense, what I learn is how to, like, punch somebody and yell no. And that's a great skill. And I think that we should definitely be practicing that. But there's a gap in between of me sitting quietly minding my own business on the train and then punching and yelling somebody like what do i do in that interim time mm-hmm. so there's the pieces of awareness understanding red flags and where the improv keep piece comes in is exactly what you were saying master olds there is like no way that you can come up with every scenario and if you read my blog i walk down the street and have all kinds of adventures living here in los angeles um and ne- never in any of those times was I ever rehearsed one of those in a class or did I even think of it on my own like it just happened.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Conversations from the Hearth. Today, we are joined by Miss Beverly Baker from Asphalt Anthropology out in Los Angeles, California.
2: Ms. Baker, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
2: Miss Baker, it's such an honor to have you on the show. Uh, heard a lot of great things about you from Jesse. And I hear your good friend, uh, Jason Brick, who was on our show just a little while ago, and this great book, and apparently you've made some contributions to that. So big honor to have you. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit how you got started in the martial arts and what kind of brought you to where you are today?
0: Yeah, sure. It has has been a journey, let me tell you. (laughs) Um, I started, this would have been the late 80s. I was in high school and I got into Taekwondo. Um, Prior to that, I had done all kinds of sports. I ran track, did softball, played field hockey, originally from the Northeast, where field hockey and lacrosse were more of a thing. Um, And so always was into something like that, loved it. And then in my junior year in high school, stumbled into a martial arts class, loved it. I I still love other sports, but like, I I never went back, right? It was just like martial arts were my path. Um, So I did that for about two years, Taekwondo about two years in high school. And then there was like this gap, couple of gap, uh, as I was trying to figure out in my young twenties, what I wanted to do and where to go to school and all that. So I kind of bopped around. Um, but then I settled in Austin, Texas, right up front the road from y'all in in the uh, yeah, in Austin, y'all and Kyle, um, I, I, and I gravitated to that area, my, my family's from that, my mom's side of the family grew up in Lockhart and Seguin, that whole area, so those are my old stomping grounds. Um, and then when I settled in Austin, went to a few places and then probably in like 92-ish, 93, um, I landed um, with training with Master Kim Geary, who uh, teaches a system called Cheyenne Rue Martial Arts, which is headquartered out of, uh, I'm sorry, Houston, Texas with Grandmaster Kim, um, and then he has schools all over. So I, I landed at the Austin School with Master Geary, trained also with Master Rick Klein, Master Mark Wise, um, and I was there the longest. I got my second degree black belt through them. I was there probably about 14 years um, about the last half of that time, about seven years, I actually was the general manager of the school. So really, you know, committed to helping the the school grow. Grew out the self defense program, children's programs, adult programs. Um, and then at a certain point, they changed hands, leadership, and I was kind of starting to crave some new things. So around that time, I guess that was oh five oh six, um, I, I got into boxing. Was working with a coach there. Really i'm like a striker at heart that's just what i love to do um and then what was it in about 2010 ish or so i start i went to school from grad school at um st edwards university and right around the corner from them was spit and fear oh yeah follow st ed's (laughs) (laughs) awesome i love it um beautiful campus i love it up on that hill and the view the view of the city or if you're in the city and you look at the hill it's just a gorgeous campus um, so I went there, and at the time, Fit and Fearless is a Krav Maga school, was right around the corner. Mm-hmm. I loved training there. There was a great stress release, just going and wailing on bags. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the same time, right around that time, I had broken up uh, from a relationship that actually ended rather violently, had to get a restraining order, that kind of thing. And the the, the physical aspects of what happened in that relationship weren't as scary as how he kind of lost his mind later. And so I really, you know, I had been teaching self-defense for many years um, prior to that, but now I found myself kind of like in that situation and and understanding, like, what trauma is from the inside. Um, It was was a horrible experience and it, you know, definitely shifted my own perspective um, with relates to related to self-defense. That was a domestic violence situation. Um, what I focus on now with asphalt anthropology, and we'll we'll get into a little bit more, is more about street safety, street street violence. Um, but that was that was such a, an amazing turning point. So shout out to the folks at Fit and Fearless for their their awesomeness there. Um, and then when I moved to California, I stayed with Krav. I stayed with boxing. I took up some boxing at the Wild Card Gym um, under Freddie Ro- with Freddie Roach, um, who that's where Manny Pacquiao when he's in LA, that's where he trains. Um, So, you know, I've been really lucky to train in a wide range of systems, but with some really amazing top quality people. And then in about 2018, um, I started judo, which was like the opposite of anything I'd ever trained before. Um, I'm not at heart a grappler. I'm not in my nature. I'm more of a striker. And, And so I started doing that in 2018 and it was just became my challenge to get better. And and I talked earlier, it's like, you know, I'd always done sports, always done martial arts. And I just want to give a shout out to anybody who's thinking about starting some kind of training. I am not a natural athlete. I do this stuff because I like it. I still, when I learn a new move, I have to like slowly count it out. One, two, three. And and I'm like in my own head trying to remember. So even though this has been a big part of my life uh, journey, it, it, it's it's not something that has come naturally. So I just want to, you know, encourage anybody who might be on the fence um, to feel like oh you're not I'm not a natural athlete you don't have to be that's the whole point right is to practice um, so and then when the pandemic hit and you know schools were you know not able to meet face to face I was actually able to work with one of the judo black belts. Um, I have this roof where I park here in in the middle of Los Angeles. I'd go up to the roof and work out, whether it was just working on my footwork with my jump rope or doing some uh, tennis ball drills like we would do in boxing or just fitness. Um, And then Juan, one of our black belts, he would come out and I worked with him a bit. And he he was in the film industry, so he was tested regularly. So it was great because we just kind of had that added assurance. But he also had to be careful. So we couldn't do a lot of like close quarters because of his job if he tested positive. He couldn't work that week. Um, but it was it was a really interesting time, you know. All the all the years that I've been going to schools and training with people that 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 time during COVID where I was up on the roof working out by myself, there's something that really kind of crystallized, like, this is such like my crutch. <laughs> you know, it's what I do to manage stress. Um, I think in COVID times, you know, what really made me aware of like how much it's my social life and some of the people that I just love the most are ones that we can sit there and punch each other. <laughs> Those are my best girlfriends and my best guy friends um, is, is building that. So it was interesting, you know, and in, in thinking about how, coming on and talking to you and, and thinking about my history and then just like, started with one thing at a certain age and just like that learning and growth and um i've added more recently um kung fu to my repertoire it's just very casual it's been mainly to kind of manage stress it's a it's an internal style that i'm teaching or learning from thad mumford i'm sorry not thad mumford that's hilarious i've been watching mash thad mumford is a um producer on mash. <laughs> Different <thad. laughs> Um, He will be excited to, to hear that shout out. But I've, I've been working and doing kung fu as more of kind of an internal style of martial arts. I think, you know, where I've been at, at, at the jo- judo dojo and Krav. It's, it's very kind of outward facing, but I've been really appreciating yeah. the internal stuff. Jesse, yeah, I get, yeah, I was getting that, <laughs> which has been really good, I think, for managing stress and, and mood and stuff as we're kind of renegotiating life post pandemic. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my story. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a good
2: pitch to all of our students, like why it's so important to do martial arts. And I, just to go back at the step, uh, not to derail us too much, but that's one of the greatest things about the martial arts, anyone can do it. It doesn't matter if you're like a natural athlete or you're more yeah. introverted, there's a place for you in the martial arts. You know, if you don't like the sparring, there's the weapons, the forms, uh yeah. the philosophy the meditation the breathing exercises and at our school we really try to bring everything together so for me martial arts is a very large umbrella you know yeah. we try to start with the self-defense that's very important to have first but i like it all even the demonstration stuff and uh you know the more uh transcendental stuff mm. as well
0: yeah uh, it's- I, and I, I caught your um, episode you did about dogma, which I thought was a really interesting conversation. And what really resonated with me is sometimes we get caught up in dogma because we go to one place and we learn one way of doing it. And you know, for me, I was either driven by, oh, I changed schools or I moved, or sometimes it was like, I just wanna learn a new set of skills that I'm not gonna get here. And I think for me, I've spent maybe you know, years and years at some places. Otherwise, it's been like maybe ten, maybe minimum of two years. And it and it just it's like enough time at least to like kind of see what it's about. And, yeah. what and um, so I, I just really echo what you were saying on the dogma conversation. It was awesome. really important. Yeah. Well, it sounds
2: like you have a similar history to me where you train a lot of different places, and that's actually quite unusual. Most people they train in one place their whole life. And so yeah. find very high-ranked martial artists that are very dogmatic because they in order to get high rank, they've just stayed in one organization their whole life, and yeah, after a certain point, it's all you can see.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and I, I will tell you, I mean, it takes a certain level of humility. I mean, I'm still like the slowest progressing green belt in judo. I mean, we've had the you know the pandemic, but even before that, and and I wish I'd started judo when I was younger. You know, I'm 51 now, and I was in my late 40s. Hey, and it is hard too. It's yeah, awesome. yeah. It, it's but awesome. it, but judo ex- itself is like the to me the hardest skill to learn, and it's really hard on the body. And so I have to really manage recovery time. um But it's uh, it, the people are again. It comes back to the people. They're they are fantastic. So they they keep me encouraged and coming back. Good maths are
2: your friend. You know, I usually kind of feel around on the floor when we start partnering up to find the softest spot, and then we that's where we fall. <laughs>
0: It does take that teamwork. Yeah, it does take that teamwork.
2: (laughs) Um, Awesome. So let's get into uh, the nuts and bolts of what we're talking about today. Yeah. Very uh, curious to hear more about how we can use improv to improve our martial arts. You know, the first thing that came to mind when I started thinking about what we were going to ask you today was every young martial artist, once they've been training for a few months, a year, whatever, when they start getting really passionate about it, they start thinking, running through endless scenarios of how they're going to defend themselves. You know, every time I go to a diner, I'm thinking, okay, if someone comes to that door, what am I going to do? Where do I need to be seated? And that kind of scenario um, just, I mean, all the time running through my head. Maybe not as much anymore because I'm kind of like a little bit older and I've run through a million scenarios. But when I was young in my 20s, I was constantly uh, doing that. And I think it would have helped a lot to have role-played through a lot of those scenarios. Fortunately, there wasn't really an avenue to do that. It sounded like you did some acting and may mm-hmm. have opened up some doors to learn some of those skills. So that's why it's such a great opportunity to have you on to tell us a little bit about how can we use improv to improve our martial arts.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it did, to kind of back it up, so I, I, I was doing, when I was kind of describing my martial arts journey, and then in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, you know, that's when I got into teaching specifically self-defense. And it wasn't necessarily something that I chose to do or signed up to do, um, but it was when I was training in Cheyenne Rue, and Grandmaster Kim has this really great principle that he calls Kong, K O N G. And that's the idea of really just giving back and giving what you can and something has given me, um, you know, peace or given me fitness or whatever it's given me and then I, I, I can give it back to somebody else and that's how I, I got into self defense because my teachers were like, you're a girl you like to hit things we need a woman to do this so I kind of fell into it quite by accident um but all during that time I was doing theater I was doing improv um I was and this was in Austin so I worked at uh places Zach Scott Capital City Playhouse which is really going way back um but also Zach Scott Theater Vortex different stages um, even did the, um, some stand-up uh, comedy routine, at, so, a, again, ages ago, something called Paris 25, and that was actually improv on stage. Um, but through all, so the theater and martial arts were kind of my life for that period in my 20s and 30s. And so it was very like a natural fit for me to see what I'm doing in improv, because it, what it does is it gives you the skills. You, like if, if you never even just do improv, like, but you're on stage, Things will go wrong. And I've been on stage where things will go wrong and I was inexperienced and I didn't know how to handle it. And so you see that wise older actor step in. We had one actor who the chair got, he went to get up and the chair got stuck to his pants. And he's like walking across <laughs> the stage with the chair stuck to his pants. Me inexperienced over here. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And and Jenny, like who was the experienced actress, she, she, she arranged it and made it flow with the scene. It was perfect. And so, I mean, if we if we're doing that on stage with all these eyes watching us, you know, I think there's a natural correlation um, because in asphalt anthropology, I I look at myself more as a reformed self-defense instructor. I don't teach necessarily what we think of as self-defense. I do teach physical skills, um, but my focus is on particularly women and how we occupy and claim space. Mm -hmm. And if there's a missing in self-defense, which is you're sitting there on the train minding your own business and then in self-defense what i learned is how to like punch somebody and yell no and that's a great skill and i think that we should definitely be practicing that but there's a gap in between of me sitting quietly minding my own business on the train and then punching and yelling somebody like what do i do in that interim time Mm -hmm. so there's the pieces of awareness understanding red flags and where the improv keep piece comes in is exactly what you were saying master olds there is like no way that you can come up with every scenario and if you read my blog i walk down the street and have all kinds of adventures living here in los angeles um and never in any of those times was i ever rehearsed one of those in a class or did i even think of it on my own like it just happened um and so like an example and i write about it more extensively on the blog and this was early days of pandemic and i live in the tourist district in Hollywood, and it was it was deserted. There was like maybe two tourists left. This was right when the shutdowns of COVID happened. And a man who targeted me aggressively, yelling, started coming at me, he had no reason to. I, he didn't know me, I didn't know him. And I uh, evaded that by just slipping in with some tourists and chatting with them, and and I got away, right? Like, no way was I gonna go hands-on with this guy. I didn't know what he, you know, he he was been living on the streets for quite some time, looked very bedraggled. I don't want to go hands-on in that situation so but i'd never like you know so we do in asphalt we talk about you know working with other people how can i use the crowd whether it's by explicitly asking them or just slipping in that kind of thing and so those are the kinds of things that we can't ever really teach like someone can hear that story and think about it now but i'm more interested in 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 self-defense particularly it's a very most part, it's very top down where I'm going to tell you, here's the skills you need to know. Here's the scenarios that you might try. Here's things you can say. And there's a lot of value in that and continue to do that. I'm more interested in what psychologists call is a bottom up approach, which is you can't know what's going to happen. You really aren't going to know. And so really what there is to do is to train your brain to be adaptable, to train your brain to be in the moment and to respond. And so that's where the improv, I mean, these are just rips straight out of improv classes <laughs> that we do. It's actually, it's not, a, uh, you can you can adapt it for technically to be martial arts, but I don't even think there's value in that. I think, you know, in some of the drills, and, I, and I'll share with you some of the ideas in a moment, but really the idea is to give up that you know what you're going to do because you don't know what the other person's going to do
2: yeah what do you got if i could jump in there i mean yeah are describing reminds me a lot of like the book of five rings and um musashi's kind of theory of like you don't need um to be a be trained formally to be a great martial artist and it also reminds me a lot of like neutral mind um when you first start martial arts you have a thousand questions and you try to think really strategically about everything right. you're doing because right. somebody along the way told you it's like a chess match and it is but it's a chess match played in a very different way with relying on uh, natural responses that are developed over years and years of experience and training right right and in order to be very good you have to be flexible and adaptable and you have to come from a neutral mental state if you're right. if you're if you're constantly thinking, okay, well, if he if he throws a, a high punch here, I'm going to block and I'm going to counter here. Uh, you're going to be too late. He's going to throw a roundhouse kick to your body, and you're going to oh, wait, wait, no, and then you get hit. You know what I mean? Totally, so have, totally. You know, yeah. Be kind of more neutral minded, and when you develop that skill, your your sparring game goes like way up. Yeah. And um, that sounds exactly what you're talking about with the role play. You know, yes. and it's kind of similar to what um musashi was talking about with his own uh, martial arts style and way of developing his martial arts so anyway i just want to jump in there and agree with you
0: yeah totally and 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 what tr- what popped into my head when you talked about the five rings and and forgive me if this story is this from the five rings or something else where the the master he's a swordsman and he's on a ferry and the guy do you know what i'm talking about he
2: opens his oar into a sword
0: yeah, yeah. Well, it, it goes on and on how the guy keeps <laughs> threatening them and he's doing all this stuff. And then finally, at the very end, when they get off the boat, I can't, I, I, I shouldn't even tell him the story if I can't remember the details. I know people out there know this story, but basically he winds up like, take like through trickery, takes the sword away and like drowns the guy, right. Who's doing the threatening. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's improv, right? Like he didn't know what, what resources were going to be available to him. He kind of just kind of, putting off the threat, putting off the threat, until it was about the timing, right? He was able to find the right time to act. And it wasn't in a way, I, gosh, I, I need to go back and find this story. It's so embarrassing to tell half of it and not remember the whole thing. But for me, I just remember what, what I was left with from that story was he didn't know what he was going to do until he had the opportunity and he sees the opportunity and he sees what was around him, the use of the water, the use of the boat, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um and and so you know, let's go ahead and jump into some of the the drills that I use and yeah and and these I'd always kind of use these on my own um, and I'd use them as a teacher. I've observed in just kind of day to day self defense classes. There's always going to be some people who are exper- who have experienced trauma, so you've got to be sensitive to those folks. Um, and then I started teaching classes at one of the missions on Skid Row here in, in downtown LA, and the stereotype, at least my, my preconceived notion was that these are gonna to be tough women who are going to, ready to kick my ass, excuse my French, you know, really tough women. And, and they, there's, those are women that are there, but most mostly they're very, they, they, they were maybe brought up in foster care, victims of abuse, just a life, lifetime of, of really hard life and being beaten down. And so for me to teach them self-defense was really tricky because there was such high levels of trauma we couldn't even get past making a fist without like someone you know being triggered and so uh, while i had been teaching some of these drills i'll share with you it became like required for me to teach them in this environment and i think you know what I'll share with you even though this was an extreme environment I've used these in other you know less extreme demographic situations with folks um and and what we find especially with martial artists is 100% master olds what you were saying is you let go of like oh he's going to punch me here so I'm going to do this and then I'll follow up with the uppercut like that that's like these exercises actually are trying to break up that kind of thinking so the the first one it's called mirror, mirror. And so simply we're mirroring each other's actions. So I, I really encourage if there's some trauma in the room or people who are fearful, have no zero martial context to this. If you wanna add martial context, if it's appropriate for your students, go for it. Um, but you can do this in a completely non-martial context. And so it just looks like two people paired up mimicking each other. Now, what that looks like day to day or in the moment is if I'm the person who goes first and Jesse, if you're my partner sure. and I go first and I just start doing this with my hand, all I do is this and you repeat, you're, you're mirroring me. And then at some point, Jesse, whenever you find the opening, you're going to add something else, with some other gesture. It's a little weird because we're sitting here on zoom, but anything you want to do other motion, you add to that. And so then my job is to continue to do that. Right. And then when it's, my turn and i get to say when it's my turn right i'm looking for the moment so maybe i just do this motion now so now i'm this actually looks like i'm throwing an elbow right i'm a little limited in what i can do because i'm sitting right but this is what i'm doing so we do this and we do this for a few minutes and we can we can stop now jenzy um (laughs) he's going to imitate me the whole time now (laughs) um so we do that for a few moments then you switch partners because every person every partner is going to be different there's going to be a new vibe there's going to be a new motion um that some people are capable of or not so we do that we do that back and forth again if you want to add a martial context to that you certainly can if you want to kind of keep it more low-key you can you can do it that way um then there's the verbal equivalent of that called story, story. These are not complicated names. Mirror, mirror was the motion, story, story is this one, but it's the idea of reflecting back to you what I'm seeing versus giving you what I wanna give you. So this is, you know, in communication, we think of this as active listening, like as opposed to, I know what you're saying, but I'm over here in my head, thinking what I want to say next and just waiting for you to be quiet. Right? Like that's like the worst kind of listening. So this, the story story is, um, so if, if, uh, Jesse, if, if I can borrow you again, um, we go back and forth and we write a story together. So it starts like this. I could say, I went to the store this morning and then Jesse, you spill in what happened next at the store.
1: Sure. I walked in and saw a puddle of water on the ground.
0: And when I saw the puddle, I couldn't believe it because then this dog came running by. And then Jesse.
1: And the water, it ran through the water and splashed water all over my brand new cowboy boots.
0: And then I was like, oh, I have to go get these cowboy boots polished. They're brand new, and I'm on my way to a party. And then you go on and on, right? Like you you keep that going. And so it really what it does, is, the whole idea is about giving up your idea of what should come next. Here's the story I wanted to tell. Maybe I wanted to tell a story about buying a new donut. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, it changed because Jesse entered the puddle in, into the equation, so then I have to change and adapt. And now the application of this for a self-defense perspective is that, remember I said, we're sitting on the train, minding our own business, and then we jump to i have to yell at somebody and punch him in the face. Well, all that stuff in between is where i'm using the skills that i'm honing and developing in these exercises. So, you know, i mean, i've literally been in that situation, i'm sitting on the train minding my own business and people, you know, talk to you, you know, there's ways to shut it down, but then there's like one guy who is persistent in talking to me and i was able to engage with him in a way that was lighthearted and then it was my stop and I got off, right? Like, it, as opposed to, I think, it really kind of comes down to social skills. We get so used to the idea of stranger danger and being freaked out by, you know, this creeper on the train or whatever. And these exercises, it's really about being with what is. It's not about being what's in your head. It's not about making up these fantasies of what is going on, but about being with what is. And these exercises are an end to to the to those or the means to that end, I should say. Um, and then the 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 exercises I shared with you, like I said, you know, those are the building blocks. There's much more complex um, uh, improv drills that you can do. Um, but for the context of martial arts, I would stick with those two. To add more complexity, though, when your folks get really good at that, is to combine them. So. For the sake of this conversation because we're sitting we're not standing in the same room and i recommend you do it you know in person in the same room but because we're we're doing it this way when i do this this just means i'm walking forward right because i can't walk i'm sitting down right now so jesse if we're going to do this again and i'm walking towards you and i say i went to the store today and then it's your job as i'm walking towards you to find that moment where you can step towards me right it's like that perfectly timed moment so you take over the physical motion you start that but then you also have to come up with a line of i went to this after following i went to the store today and does this
1: sorry to hop in? i'm just trying no. to understand yeah the better so i have a theater background as well and oh
0: perfect yeah
1: from middle school to the end of high school i was in a show pretty much every year yeah. um, and so some of these games are a little familiar and so i'm yeah. curious to keep building on them yeah They've become it does not become a dialogue, it becomes this a single story being told, correct? It's not, I went to the store today, oh, that's nice. You know, what was it like?
0: Great distinction, yes. We are writing a story together in the same voice. This isn't about Beverly and Jesse being two separate people, we're writing a story together. Yeah, great, great point. Yeah.
1: So the motion aspect, if we were standing, we could be moving with each other and it's as we're adding to the story speaking, then you're playing this kind of dancing uh, reactionary game as well.
0: Exactly and so to make it simple you know to start out it would just be like again I'm using this gesture to represent me walking because I'm sitting here but so I'm walking forward and I'm telling the story and then you find the moment where you can like catch me and to walk me backwards but we can also add other physical elements to that, like we did in Mirror, Mirror. Like if I want to walk towards you and do this with my arm or this with my head, you can add to that. It adds to the layers of complexity, which I think for martial artists who are a bit more... Ex- yeah, what do you got? Story and you're doing this this yes. <laughs> Fail. I, I really <laughs> it, <you> know? <laughs> that is tough enough and and that's part of the whole game right it's to make it fun I mean I've had students who were freaked out by the idea of, of, of physical engagement um but then uh you know by playing this it really just changes the mood and then they're laughing and giggling and you know when it's appropriate again I'm I, I kind of honed this in a very traumatized population so I, I you can see I always proceed to the next level with caution. But I think, you know, depending on who your student body is, if there's not that level of trauma, you can certainly move um, much more quickly to that.
2: So those are awesome exercises, great ideas.
0: Yeah, yeah, and they and they really do, they're, they're, they're not, they don't have to be specialized for martial arts because the principle behind them is what we're all trying to learn as human beings, right? Whether we're an actor or a, you know, martial artist or a a mom, you know, managing the subway with her kids or, you know, a business person trying to negotiate a deal. Like we're always having to adapt. And these are exercises that just rebuild that memory. And again, just to emphasize, this is about the bottom up building of skill because you're never going to know like again i live i live in the the tourist district of hollywood like a block and a half of the walk of fame and it's just a show out here all the time i have the citizen app and it's just i think that one of the more recent headlines was woman dressed as the harley quinn steals a man's dog and that's like the kind of like stuff that goes down in my neighborhood you know you can't predict that And who knows, maybe that was a BS headline because that's how, you know, citizen kind of rolls, but the idea, I just kind of want to like just reiterate, you never know what's going to happen, but that's actually, you can prepare for the unknown and really, frankly, and this is where I push back a lot against mainstream self-defense is that it is very top-down. It is like, here's your 10 list of things you need to do, and here, let's watch this video of this scary thing happening to this person, and they didn't, you know, and, and that's that's like a thing in the, in the industry that drives me nuts. It's like nobody knows what they would do in that situation. You don't know what the sight smells, sounds, you know, if somebody's drunk, if somebody, you know, there's so many unknown variables, and that's why I really focus on a bottom-up approach, really cultivating your own capacity to adapt and respond.
2: So... Uh... I can see a lot of benefits to this, but I'm just kind of curious, like what, yeah. what are the benefits to these exercises, in your opinion? How is that you know, building from the bottom up?
0: Uh, specifically, the exercises are, uh, I'm, I'm, I didn't quite- Yeah, follow. Like, like
2: mirror, mirror, like, yeah. is that teaching us? Like, What is the sort of tacit knowledge that we're looking for with this kind of an exercise that's gonna help us maybe deescalate a situation or be confident in a situation? I don't know what are the what are the benefits? Do you think to that kind of an exercise?
0: Yeah, so it really forces you when you're doing that exercise to be present with that person and to respond to what they're doing. And you're not necessarily looking to change or control their behavior, but you're looking for the opportune time to step in and 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 take over. And so again, we're sitting here on Zoom, it's a little harder, but if, if you're doing this in person and Jesse, you and I are moving back and forth, it's like judo, right? It's the same principles in judo. I'm moving my partner around, they're moving my partner around and I go for the sweep when there's the opening. I don't go for the sweep when they're strong and they're stable. I'm just gonna like hurt my leg, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so really this is doing this applying the same kind of idea to a more social context. So it's got the physical element of moving back and forth, um, but it, it, it's not necessarily in a, in a martial way. So I'd say the benefits are getting you present, getting you present to respond, not to what you want, but to what is. And it's also about really letting go of what your expectation of how this should go and how this should be.
2: Yeah, I, was, I mean, immediately I thought of, um, something I tried to tell all my parents, is that these skills, these drills would really help develop social skills
0: because a lot of
2: times people are misunderstood because they don't know what they're doing with their own face. I mean, Mm. um, I look at sometimes like a picture of myself and I'm like, I look like I'm angry, you know? I I always remember like, ooh, I gotta like put some uh, happiness in my face because if you're going around like that, that's the kind of image that you're projecting. And a lot of times- You're not matching what the person is giving you. And you're actually maybe ex- escalating the violence, the situation more than it needs to be. You know, I, not to go too much on a tangent, but sometimes, I, not sometimes, a lot of times, I get parents that come in and they say, I want you to be, I want you to teach my son or daughter how to defend themselves because they're getting picked on at school. Right. And what they basically want is they want me to make their son or daughter into such a badass that no one will mess with them. but that's not really how it works. Like you're, and and I, you can't really get into this because it it would hurt feelings and whatnot, but, but, and I don't really know the exact situation case for every single kid. So I I can't really say it without knowing more, but I'll say that a lot of times kids get picked on because they don't have the good social skills in the first place. They get socially isolated and then they get picked on. It's kind of like, you know, like a wolf pack. What is it? The, the, uh, Delta Wolf, or whatever, like, what's the, like, the, the, the the bottom the bottom wolf like always gets picked on. I don't. I, I
0: can I know. I know what you're talking about. You know I can't think I mean? of the name, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah.
2: Um, and that's kind of what's happening is this person has become a social outcast, and everyone in society will just automatically pick on them unless they take it upon themselves to not yeah. do that. And yeah. so, yeah. That's something that we also teach in the school is not picking on people, even right. though there's cultural uh, social onus to do so. And then also teaching people that are being picked on to have the good social skills so they can get back on the bandwagon and and remake those friends. And a lot of that comes from giving them a chance to be in a community that will accept them no matter how socially awkward they are. And a skill like this, getting back on point, is a really good physical thing that you can do to help you develop those skills. My brother is a psychologist and his entire family have their own practice and they always psychoanalyzing me to death. <laughs> I, I have a lot of conflict with him because I'm more physical. Like, yeah. I'm like okay, we can talk about it. That's fine. I figured out my problem like 10 years ago. Yeah. But we're just we're just milling it about like give me some exercises to yeah. develop my to, to, to solve my problem. Like I see amazing uh, me me him and I we always argue because I'm like yeah well you've had the same patient for 20 years in my school they, i see immediate results in like six months and then yeah. six months they're like staying attention saying yes sir their grades are
0: improving
2: like yeah oh, yeah man. like yeah you know what i mean so like these totally kind of skills yeah. Are yeah, that physical work that like yeah. i love as a martial arts instructor so mm-hmm. much yeah yeah. Like, yeah actually doing something to solve the problem not just saying well, let's talk about it
0: <laughs> right right oh totally yeah it's funny my day job I work with a lot of psychologists and and I and and that work has really um impacted my own work and how I look at things right like the idea of bottom up versus top down has, has been really paramount but you know to kind of I, I'm so there with you it's like you know I've learned and I taught like that whole you know yell no and hit that pad as hard as you can or you know elbow whatever and there is great value and great benefit and that needs to be taught because what it you know when you're yelling especially that you embody what you're doing you get really good at it but you know what's missing again if I go back to that illusion of you sitting on the train minding your own business and then having to yell at and punch somebody there's a whole and that's what the the improv and that's what asphalt anthropology it really is it's those kind of city-based skills um or their skills for anywhere but I focus on the city because it's such a more dynamic and fluid and a lot more chaos coming at you at once um so I, so for me with asphalt what I what I when I put together the curriculum for asphalt it's it's it, it can't just like work once in a while in an environment where I might you know be a target for something this has to work in in a in a in a, in in a crazy city like like LA or Hollywood, where you know stuff happens every day, you come home and you're just stressed. Well, if you carry that stress with you and you take it back out tomorrow, you're actually going to be worse at mitigating any kind of challenges if you let that stress accumulate. So those these are you know the, the asphalt anthropology approach to to uh, personal safety. It's because we, we I, I hate to say. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say the word, but it's just very chaotic, right? It's just a chaotic environment, and if you never have the time to come down, and that's why, you know, coming back to these exercises, these are really important because it's like it may not be a violent situation. It could be like what do I do when I missed my train, and I don't know when the next one's coming, and, and or maybe I'm a visitor, like I see tourists all the time, and they don't know how to navigate it, and so whether it's, like, a, a particularly menacing situation, it doesn't have to be that. It could just be life in general. Oh, I missed the train. You know, how do I find out when the next one is, and just being adaptable. So it's it's those kind of skills. Yeah,
2: that's the highest gain, I feel like, of the martial arts. Uh, the lessons of the martial arts go way yeah. beyond the mat, and they teach us yeah. about life, you know?
0: Yes. I think yeah. we all get into
2: the martial arts for, you know, maybe fitness or self-defense or something yeah. like that, but then we all kind of, like, at a higher level, take away, like, those skills; those are the most important things. At the end of the day, when you're, you know, in your 40s, your 50s, and you're trying, you know, the, you know, doing the great kick or the powerful punch is not nearly as important as, you know, having confidence and being able to uh, stay emotionally balanced in a difficult situation. Those things are really, really important. Actually, yeah. on that topic, I wanted to kind of um, ask you a question. So. Well, I've done, I've done some women's self-defense. I don't consider myself like an expert on teaching women's self-defense, but I, you know, I'm a martial arts instructor. I've, I've been teaching martial arts for over 20 years. Yeah. And, um, I've had a lot of opportunities, you know, like, Hey, can you teach me a women's self-defense class? And one of the things that I've noticed with working with women is, um, their confidence to defend themselves. A lot of times is what is lacking, not their actual ability. You know, you yeah. can get, uh, like a five-year-old and give them a broken bottle, and he can he can wreak havoc on like, on somebody who's not paying attention. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. you, you can really, you mess somebody up. It doesn't really matter yeah. your physical ability. And honestly, like a, a fully grown woman is like a fifteen year old boy. And that even when I was a fifth, you can have some scary fifteen year old boys. who can you can you know oh yeah. out like a lot yeah. of people. You know, I yeah. mean, it's definitely a disadvantage, but it's not it's not something that can. It's not insurmountable, but I think what ends up happening is through society, through experiences at the edge, you start to develop this feeling like I can't, I could never do it to the point that a lot of my girlfriends sometimes have been incredibly um, violent with me not even realizing how violent they're being. Like they'll hit me like yeah. way harder than my guy friends. Cause my guy friends, they like, they know like, okay, that's too hard. You hit me like that, man, I'm going to hit you back really hard. Yeah, cool. yeah. My girlfriends, they just, they just kind of like go in there wail They're like way too hard. It's because they don't realize their ability for, for violence. They don't realize how tough they actually are. And so one of the things that's always been a, a really key cornerstone with women's self-defense for me is teaching women how to be empowered I know that term gets thrown around a lot, but how to have, like, a lot of inner strength and believe in themselves. Yeah. One of the things that I do, which kind of reminds me of Mirror Mirror, but in a more martial arty way, is I'll, you know, get in the red man suit and I'll let them beat the living snot out of me. It's something that I do, um, you know, when I take competitors to a tournament. Like, I don't, you know, like, I'll work with them on the side. I don't beat the crap out of them. That would, that would demoralize them. You know what right, I mean? Right. Right.
0: Right. Like, yeah. I let
2: them beat the crap out of me and they're like, wow, yeah, okay, I'm kicking the crap out of a master old. Maybe I get, I, I can do well out there. So, you know, to, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and you, you empower them. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And, and it's kind of like the mirror mirror thing that's going on there a little bit different, but it, so in a similar vein, what are exercises that you use to help empower women in that similar way?
0: That's a great question. So, you know, we talked about the idea of like hitting something hard and yelling, that kind of thing um, is absolutely one of them. Um, It really does come down to, I mean, if we kind of step back from the the improv, which which can be a gateway, right? Because you talked about how some women are conditioned to be fearful of this, to not understand it. So I think that the improv with with all the martial aspects stripped out of it is a great gateway and an introduction to that. Um, but really it's just training. It's showing them how to, you know, that they can do this. I think a, one part that I, I don't think women consider that, that have that belief is that, you know, if you think about just Think about targeting, right? Like nobody has strong eyeballs that are going to withstand my thumbs gouged in them, <laughs> right? So I, I, you know, I think the part of that is just understanding the curriculum. If I if I punch a guy in the shoulder, that's just going to make him angry, right? That or just annoy him, right? But it 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 does come back to when we're teaching self defense. You know, what is the target? What is the very specific target? Not just a general flailing and punching a, a non vital area. Um, but then there's also the aspect of there's the targeting but then the timing which again the 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 improbable training for so maybe i can't maybe i am wrapped up in a situation and i can't move my arms well you know, he can't really do anything to me then either while he maybe had me wrapped up. So like the second he he like maybe shifts position or that loosens, that's the window of opportunity. So I think really when it comes down to, you know, teaching women, uh, and and, and I'm, I'm very specific the way I'm saying this, because not all women are socialized. Um, a lot of women are, and I think the majority of women are, and, and a lot of it's biologically driven that, you know, to not hurt, to not harm. Um, and then there are women who don't uh, interact uh, who don't engage that way. I, I don't know that I was ever really that way and a lifetime of martial arts. So I, I know I, I'm, I'm talking about this because I've walked into rooms and, and men will treat me like I'm a fragile flower. And then you just kind of have to, you know, show that there's women are not a monolith, right? We don't all have the same beliefs and backgrounds and values. Um, but for folks who do have those backgrounds, it's, it's really consistency. But Master Olds, it really honestly has to come from within from them, right? Like they have to get themselves to class. They have to get themselves to that training floor. And without that willingness, um, you know, there's really not much you can do. And again, that's why I like some of the improv stuff is it takes that kind of scary charge out of it as a as a great intro um and you know honestly not everybody has to do martial arts I I I I know that you know a lot of us martial artists want everyone to to do it yeah everyone has to do it you know what I mean life is busy you have families you have kids you have jobs and if you can't dedicate hours a week to a martial art but you can have improv skills that's probably good enough for most situations in life. Like not all of us have to walk around with black belts and, you know, bulletproof. Like that, That's just like not even necessary. And and I teach on Skid Row and live in Hollywood. And I'm telling you, like, life is not that scary. We make it out way scarier than it needs to be. Um. So, you know, if you have some of these basic skills, you're going to be fine. Not everybody has to look like, you know, I think that's a downfall of, of women's self-defense is we want to uh, uh, re- reshape women into warriors. And it's like, if you want to be a warrior, be a warrior. But you can still be safe and not be, like, a hard-ass warrior as well. Yeah, that's
2: a good point. Um, this seems like a good time to transition to another question I had. Yeah. about sounds like you've been working with uh, homeless people on Skid Row. And what is that experience like? That seems very interesting. I, yeah. I worked um, with the Milwaukee Public Schools for a little bit. Yeah, um, And I have, like, you know, friends who've worked in the inner city and stuff, and yeah, they tell me these crazy stories, you know, like they're working with their students and they start taking off their clothes and doing, you know, striptease yeah. yeah. in the middle of class. And it's like, what yeah. the heck? And how do you teach respect and decorum in that kind of a situation? So now I, I, I don't know a single person who's worked with homeless people before, so there must be some unique challenges there. How, does that, how did you even get started doing that? What has that experience been like? What have you learned from that?
0: Yeah, a, a lot, like a lot. It's actually transformed a lot for me. Um, I, I got into it, um, there's a gentleman, uh, his name is uh, Officer Dion Joseph and he is um, a police officer with LAPD. Look him up, he's a really extraordinary guy. He has this crazy book, let me see where it is. Oh, here's his book. Okay, Dion, I'm giving a shout out. This is his book. Mm -hmm. And so he is a cop who um, has been a a cop on Skid Row for over 20 years. And he tells crazy stories in in his book, as you can imagine, of being a Black man, LAPD officer on Skid Row. Um, I'm bragging about him. He's the one who, he's the one who said, hey, Beverly, why don't you come do this? I can't remember how we met um initially but he he calls me here and there to come teach a a class and he's the one who's like the women on skid row need you they need this information because he sees them victimized and traumatized regularly whether they're actively living on the streets or maybe they do have a roof over their head but he's worked with some of the most vulnerable women our city has. And, um, you know, again, I had my preconceived notions of who they are, or who they would be, and, you know, tough, and they kick my ass as soon as they look at me. And, you know, there, there's some really tough women there. I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, uh, you know, discount that at all. But really what surprised me the most, Master Olds and Jesse, is how vulnerable they were, how frightened they were. Um, you know, we have a foster care system that, When you age out and no one's in your corner then you're on your own i can you imagine being 18 years old and trying to navigate like life they have nothing and so a lot of these women they end up in this particular shelter to help you know get them on their feet that kind of thing some come because it's it's either that or jail they had a choice either to come do this program or jail others same thing with addiction um so it's definitely working with with people who are just vulnerable and 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 it, it makes me very It breaks my heart to think about it. Um, And they're very resilient women. And, and, you know, it's not gonna be a traditional self-defense class. Like, I just need to get rid of that, right? Like, we're not gonna necessarily reach everybody. We're not gonna get everybody always to participate. We're not always going to, you know, have someone graduate and go live a great life. I had a friend who uh, worked with troubled youth, uh, that was her whole career. And it's like, sometimes the goal is not to make them like the next CEO of a company and get a great job. It's just so they don't like use a weapon the next time they rob a store. And that was like a very chilling thing for me to learn. It's like, we all come at this at at different places. And for me, the idea is to give the women skills to protect themselves, Um, also to think through some of the situations they might find themselves in. Is this self-defense or is this a fight? right? Because that, that is certainly a part of it. And and they live in a world that I have a privilege of stepping in and stepping out of. They have to live in that world. So sometimes violence is the answer that they have to participate in if they want to continue to live in peace in their own community. Um, so it really did open my eyes because I think, you know, self-defense as a whole is geared towards people who are middle to upper class, who can afford to take a class. Um, I know myself and, and perhaps you a lot of you know, studios will offer free classes, will go to places. I don't think that's done enough because I feel like the people who are most vulnerable won't have the time or the access or the money or the resources to get to you. So I guess it comes back to Grandmaster Kim and his idea of Kong, of giving back. You know, what What has been given to me? You know, who can I give it to? And and for me, it's they're, they're the most vulnerable populations. Um, so that's why I wanna work with them. But then at the same time, it's really forced me to up my game and like i said with these uh classes or the um improv exercises like they're essential now right like they're kind of cool in other classes like i can't not use them in this class um, and then just one more quick thing about that is it requires me as an instructor to adapt and improvise um, there's dynamics that are going on i think maybe you alluded to you know maybe you've got uh two factions of you know this woman here and this woman here and they're buying to be queen B, and they've got their Minions around them. So, as an instructor, I have to notice that. Certainly don't want to pair them up <laughs> or any of those factions up. So, it's really kind of managing those dynamics, understanding what happens, not taking sides at all, but still being of support to anybody who comes to my class to learn and wants to grow. To yeah. That's great.
2: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jesse, you have any thoughts? I mean, really we've kept you for almost an hour or so. I was gonna ask, I what guess. are the million things I
1: keep asking you, I knew this conversation was gonna go, whoa, like open up. We, we've been so excited about this. Um, what's, what's your timeline looking like? Are we needing to cut off uh, in the next few minutes here?
0: I do, yeah, I, I do have a, a, a work call at, in a few minutes. So yeah. That's what
1: I was thinking. So uh, very briefly, again thank you so much for coming on and sharing this uh, yeah what you've already shared there's so much here to sit with and unpack and, and work with going forward. Um, I am curious so so many of our students here at the school we we have you know it's a family sort of program we have kids we have adults we have uh, people who are a little older as well um, for our, younger students, the people that are under 18 years old, that aren't living in a city like LA, you know, we're south of Austin, but even Austin is a very friendly city. As more people keep moving in, it's getting a little bit uh, a little bit more wild, but um, what specific advice do you have for that younger group of students? Yeah. That ties into this sort of bottom-up approach of being able to be quick on your feet, being able to uh, be aware of these situations, um, that you would want to share with them, that we can share with them going forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that just to kind of underscore it, and then and then I'll elaborate, which sure. is understand that not everybody in the world thinks like you and has the same values that you have. Mm. And you know, I think that's important for kids to know because you know, as kids, we we grow up in our little family unit, and that's how we think the world is. And then we get out, and we we understand it's not. But kids aren't the only ones who can kind of fall for that trap. And you mentioned Austin and its growth. So there's a a story recently from someone who was uh, an older lady in her 60s, lived in one of those fancy new high rises downtown. She's lived in Austin for ages, right? So the city has changed around her. When she chose to move to Austin, it was one way and now it's different. And in her environment, someone came into her lobby as she was coming back from walking her dog. A person who wasn't supposed to be there appeared to be experiencing homelessness. Homelessness didn't appear to be entirely in the right mind. Her response: she turned to them and snapped, "You're not supposed to be in here." Well, that person didn't care, right? Like, if, if you're going to break rules, I don't care what some random person's saying to me. Right. And so they continued to follow her towards her um, elevator. And she kept bitching at them. you're not supposed to be in here. Gets on the elevator. This person gets on the elevator. Now she's in an enclosed place with someone she scolded and pulls out a, this person pulls out a knife. She was able to then assess the situation for what it really was, right? Like coming back to adaptability. She was interacting with him, maybe like an employee, maybe a mom, maybe she's used to being listened to. But when someone has different values uh, and pardon my French, if I'm breaking the rules and I'm supposed to be where I'm not supposed to be and you tell me and, and I'm already like a, a, a rule breaker, I don't give a shit what you, you're you going to say to me. You're you, you don't mean anything to me. And I'm going to shut you up if I need to shut you up. And I think, I mean, that's a very kind of harsh way of saying it. And that's an example of an older person. But I think, you know, when we are out navigating in public spaces, if we act like this is our private space in our home and the rules that apply here in my home, do not apply out there and we need to be aware of that and yes exactly it comes back to that can i be can i go outside and live my values while understanding not everybody else does so that would be my takeaway for young and old especially in austin where people things are changing around you you didn't necessarily maybe choose that but that's the reality
2: there's a i went to a business conference a little while ago and we were learning a a sales strategy which is basically you They're like five different color people. There's like blues, there's like yellows, greens. I don't know. I can't remember all the details of it, but basically, it's it's shown to be very effective if you can try to figure out what kind of personality type you're dealing with, Mm -hmm. and you try to match their personality with your own personality. Yeah. uh, To getting a a successful sale, and it just reminds me a lot of what you're saying there. Like, do do you, you know? Sometimes we get so inside of ourselves, we think like we are we are the hot know, the right way and the only way and so yeah. the way we act can be very abrasive to other people and yeah skills like this you know can maybe teach us a little bit about how to communicate better and mirror what we're giving we're, we're being given and give that back so that we can be always having a positive charismatic interaction with people
0: a hundred percent absolutely yeah
2: thank you so much for coming on this has been yes. awesome thank you
0: for having me yes
2: i don't know if you'd ever want to come out to a seminar but i think this would be a really fun seminar to take us through some of these exercises as a school and and show us this stuff so we will have to be in touch
0: yeah let's chat about that i mean that, that is one thing i do is you know i don't come and interfere with what you teach physically it's i think of it more as like let's put a filter on it and the filter being you have to apply this to a dynamic uh fluid environment it doesn't have to be a big city like los angeles it could be a mall right it could be i don't know as barton creek mall i was reading they they're kind of anyway a mall it could yeah. be any yeah it could be a mall it could be anything where you're just having to navigate other people and i teach people how to move through that space how to use that space and it's and it's none of the military like you know keep your head on a swivel everybody's out to get you it's it's from a much more day-to-day life like I just have to live my life manage my kids and and Think about what that email I have to send my boss and get dinner on the table kind of thing. Yes, so yeah, we'll, we'll, let's chat about that for yeah, sure. Uh, absolutely.
2: Well, Miss Baker, it's been a pleasure. Wishing you the best of luck out there in Las Vegas. I'm not Las, Las, Vegas, Las Vegas. Vegas, Los Angeles.
0: Oh, uh, we're a few hundred more miles over. Yeah, <laughs> LA. <laughs> Feels
1: a little
2: like a similar world, I guess. In the desert.
0: It's the hot desert. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, I got Las Vegas on my mind. Someone just went to Las Vegas at my school. I uh Yeah. Anyway. Cool it a pleasure to have you on. Uh, yeah. yeah. Thank, you.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.
2: If you enjoyed that podcast, please consider liking and subscribing to our YouTube channel, as well as hitting the notification bell. We offer in-person, group, and private lessons at our facility in Kyle, Texas, as well as virtual lessons anywhere in the world. If you'd like to learn more about our programs, you can find us online at risingphoenixtkd.com.